Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today. Because today we're dabbling more into the sci-fi, you know, we're talking about the latest blockbuster release. Um, this is a movie that we were preparing for through our read-through of Dune, the book, because, um, you know, just yesterday we attended a screening, or at least I watched yesterday. Did you watch on opening day? I watched uh, yesterday, yeah. Okay, so just well, yesterday day, yeah. we watched uh, Dune Part 2 in the theaters, and now here we are today to talk about it and compare it to the books and then all that good stuff we're we're here yeah i mean charles i'm so glad that after you pitched the book and friends pitching fantasy that i chose in that we read the book before seeing the movie uh it gave such awesome context and i recommend mm-hmm. anyone who hasn't watched the movie yet like you get that book a very quick read so you can get to the theater while Dune is still yeah. in there. Uh, it was so good, Charles. Mm-hmm. So amazing. I just have to start with that. I'm not going to be coy about this whole thing. I absolutely love the movie. I'm so excited to get into the the deep depths of discussing this. With yeah, you. dude. I was super entertained. One, just like visually and the sound was in, just the movie going experience was incredible. And two, you touched on it. Like we just read the book and I mean, thank you for acknowledging my brilliant idea to read Dune before, right before the movie came out. I mostly acknowledged my brilliant idea to select it actually. If well, you, if I, it wouldn't have been possible without me. It was my idea. Like, it's plans within plans, right? I knew you were going to pick it and that all this stuff would happen, right? So mm-hmm. um, anyway, it was a brilliant idea because I got so much enjoyment out of trying to figure out, you know, or just seeing what the director was doing differently with the story and what he kept the same. And it wasn't kind of what I expected. And I really in- enjoyed that. Like he stuck true to a lot of the source material and the ways in which he differed like thematically and with his character development, it, it really made it a modern, like appropriate for a modern audience and so much more nuanced and honestly just like better than what we got in the book, in my opinion, which I know can be a controversial take, but we'll get into that in our spoiler-filled moments, which we'll announce very soon. We won't dabble too long in the spoiler-free, but just didn't want to drop with, like, end of the book, end of a second part of a movie spoilers before we at least gave you a fair warning. (laughs) That's a good point to clarify, Charles, for anyone years in the future, because we know people go deep back into... (laughs) The catalog. We just saw Dune Part Two. Uh, mm-hmm. Dune Part One was out uh, years ago, twenty twenty one, I believe, and mm-hmm. now we're in the year twenty twenty four. And it was, uh, yeah, really cool to get to see. The first one was only released like straight to was it HBO Max at the time? It or? was. I think it was both. A th- think it was oh, also was a theatrical release but okay. it was also controversially straight to streaming it was a time gotcha. when like theaters were either just reopening or still closed i don't fully remember i remember having people over and watching it at my house and being like i'm never going to the theater again this is awesome 
Um, <laughs> but I, I, I did catch this one in the theater and I had a great movie going experience, which I wasn't fully prepared for. It was like really good. Yeah. I mean, just to echo what you were saying earlier, Charles, while we're still in the spoiler free shallows, I'll say that visual feast Right. That feels like super cliche. Like how many reviews can you find on Rotten Tomatoes where the phrase visual feast comes up? Probably quite a few, but it does feel like that's a super appropriate way to describe it. Sounded great. Uh, there were parts where it literally felt great, like where oh. I saw it in XD. The theater was shaking. Charles, you yeah. said you saw it in Dolby, which I is saw it in Dolby next theater, level, baby. I think. It was awesome. Yeah. It's worth the money for this movie, guys. But um, no, it yeah. was. It looked amazing. And the balance between like the realistic sci-fi look and then the stylistic look, the way that they would go back and forth between the two was awesome. Like in those first scenes where they're using like the gravity jetpack things and they're kind of like wobbly as they go up and down. It looked awesome, like so good. And the sense of scale looked like really incredible. Like as a someone who watches like sci-fi movies, it can be hard when you there's so much technology of like to show space travel and stuff mm. without having a huge budget, right? It's either like a CGI mess or like really contained but in this it was just a super ambitious both in budget and in like visual effects you would get those really cool on location practical effects you'd get some really awesome cgi moments as well i mean it looked incredible and then you would get like to the harken and planet and it's all black and white and there's these creepy oh, looking yeah, guys crazy. just in the background and everyone looks the same and you're like this is like a nightmare right now i'm like <laughs> freaking out it, it's just like the the, the between the two, it was just so good, you know. And, and like you said, there's scenes where they're they're riding the sandworms, and it's just like the whole theater is vibrating. You feel it in your chest from the bass, like so so good. And in a way that you know, I saw Avatar two in the theater, right? And that movie looked amazing, but you know, I walked away from it kind of expecting that, and I was like, it was very good. This was like next level. I was like, wow, I, I felt the presentation of that movie which uh, it hasn't happened for me in a while in my movie theater going experience well said charles totally agree it was so much fun to catch us in theaters and i highly recommend that anyone who can make their way out there before this uh, you know, this probably very long run of mm. theater showings of dune get, get in there and get in there uh, yeah, I'll say to the you you already mentioned this the modifications made to the movie mm-hmm. uh, which were actually a relatively small number mm-hmm. because it was super faithful in maybe 95 to even more percent of the book mm-hmm. but I'll say the 5% that was changed was done masterfully was adapted in a way that so makes good. so much sense for a modern audience that cut a lot of the stuff that when we read the book we we're like dude i don't know if they need to have this <laughs> at all they're in not the, gonna do this yeah, right there's and no way they, those things were generally left out and to great effect i was very impressed like you think of times where 
not to attack Benioff and Weiss. Uh, they, they become such easy targets, a Game of Thrones showrunners. <laughs> but there were times where, especially in the later seasons, they would make a change. You'd be like, what? Like, why <laughs> did you do that? And, like, it's so confusing. And this was the opposite of that experience. It was like, yes, thank mm. you for altering that part into this part we thought they had their work cut out for them with the second part of the movie oh, yeah. because we felt like that was actually the weaker part of the book mm-hmm. and i will say of the in the movies the second part was the stronger of the two so that's about the the biggest praise i think i, I can give this yeah well said and like i'll i'll say this like this is one of those rare moments where the sequel's better than the original where the mm-hmm. adaptation's better than the original like that just goes to show you that you know, when when I heard that Dennis Villeneuve was going to do this, the guy who made Arrival, you know, one of our favorite sci-fi so movies ever, it's like this guy just understands the art of adaptation, right? It's like totally new medium, totally new audience. And the way he was able to edit out like B and C level plot lines from the books to keep the movie going. And this movie goes, right? Even though it's two hours yeah. and almost 40 minutes long, like it... It moves fast, and it does not really dwell on plot intrigue as much as the books do, right? It just rams you through it so that you can get character moments and and action scenes and and things like that. And the amount of characters it chooses to cut is perfect, and where it chooses to focus is excellent as well. And just also the shift in the focus on the main themes. It's a subtle shift, but it works with the material so well, and it works for modern audiences so well, and it works for the ending really well. Which we, oh, yeah. as you mentioned, Dylan, we had we were questioning how the ending of the book was going to be presented <laughs> in like, the movie. No like, there's no way it ends yeah. this way. It's physically impossible, <laughs> and the changes were so subtle and done with such a deft hand that yes, I was it was not where I would have thought he was going to go you know I thought it was going to be a little more heavy-handed or something but it really was excellent and I think we should not wait anymore and we need to get right into the spoilers so we can get into this cuz I think this is where the really interesting conversations are to be had yeah so this will be a spoiler-filled conversation of the dune movies and it is is something that we meant to come in and discuss the movies as a whole, you know, as a unit, part one and part two. Uh, I have a feeling that this will be part two heavy, uh, but Mm. there'll be some discussion of part one stuff as well. Uh, So if you don't want to get that spoiled, uh, we're also going to talk about some of the modifications that were made from book to movie. Uh, Mm. Like we said, they're relatively small number but to uh, to me that's such a juicy area to discuss because of those thematic changes that do Mm. take place and because of just the brilliance of what was chosen to be cut or truncated or or what have you so uh, that's what we'll be getting into if that's not your jam for whatever reason then now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones and charles let's get into it there's so much to discuss let's get into it man i don't even know where to start the movie was like so rich with these subtle differences i think we just gotta start with like the characters right the first one obviously i mean dylan it was your favorite 
thing to talk about was Zendaya <laughs> staring into the camera all of book one. I think you got, I think it's safe to say you got some redemption here in book two, right? What is, as someone who was, you know, very interested in the Zendaya arc in book one, why don't we start yeah. there? <laughs> yeah. So let me just say, I rewatched Dune part one and mm-hmm. uh, as a prelude to this and make sure that I'm entirely ready for part two. And mm. I recommend anyone who gets a chance to do that, do that as well. I was so on point with the <laughs> Zendaya just stares at the camera in part one. Like, in it'd been years since I watched it. So I was like, am I, is that overblown? Because I keep talking about this in the <laughs> book ep- and in the episode we did on the book. And uh, no, that was 100% accurate. Actually, it would be a probably somewhat dangerous uh drinking game uh, if you (laughs) did like a shot for every like every zendaya just stares at the camera like you're probably doing like eight or nine shots and she's only in that movie for seven minutes that first movie and if you watch it's actually not shocking when you it's shocking when you just stop and think about that idea and the mm-hmm. fact that you got paid three hundred thousand dollars for that seven minutes uh but good money the, the yeah yeah um, honestly <laughs> she probably drew way more butts into seats you know than oh yeah hundred thousand dollars worth you know that's a steal hundred percent worth it hundred percent better have gotten points on the on the back end for dune part two you know i'm sure she got paid uh, Oh, yeah. Part two, who knows how much she made. I mean, (laughs) probably you could look that up somewhere. But uh, anyway, point being, yeah, she is extremely central to part two. Zendaya does an amazing job in that role, bringing so So much more depth to a character that in the books we talked about how one-dimensional and shallow a character Chani was. And then not only does Zendaya bring so much life and personality to that character, such amazing casting, but also the role that they end up shifting her toward playing in the movie, where in the movie she is, despite being uh, uh, Paul's lover and... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that's probably the best word for it in yeah. this as opposed to the book where it ends up being more concubine uh, <laughs> but in the in the movie it's more she is paul's lover and like partner like equivalent of girlfriend whatever word you want right. to use but mm-hmm. she is actually completely against the idea of paul as this messiah figure and she rallies against it verbally not just before she gets together with paul but during and uh, you know eventually we're in spoiler territory like after she is totally against that idea and this idea of this kind of white savior equivalent coming in and being like now i am your leader and your prophet she's like no that has to come from within our Mm -hmm. people here and uh, she in the book she's just like all paul such a all passive the time. character like, I 100% like oh whatever support. you say paul i'll yeah. be your wife i'll right i'll be your you know concubine like whatever and it was kind of disappointing it's like there's no way zendaya would play this role like the role that's in the books there's just yeah. no way and i agree dylan it was so well done because like you said this book was written in the 50s right it was totally like a white savior chosen one thing which 
you know, you're writing this book, you're, you're presenting this movie in 2024. People will pick that apart in two seconds, you know. So what they've done, which I thought was really clever, is they they like up to the role of Chani Zendaya's character, and they kind of upgraded the role of Stilgar as well. Yeah, and they the two play off of each other in really interesting ways, and the theme switches more from like, oh, like I'm the I'm the chosen one. I'm going to come and save you guys. This is all about how, you know, greed is bad and the people are good. And I'm going to show the people how to be good against the bad guy. You're like, okay, that's a bit kind of surface level and lame. And then what happens in this movie is like, no, this movie is about something way, way more. It's about using like how religion and faith can be both a motivator and a tool for manipulation and learning how to like make a distinction between the two and sometimes it can be hard to tell and it and it was really interesting to watch the dynamic of that and the depth in which this movie chooses to go into that where the book barely touches it i mean the whole premise of the book is that this chosen one messiah religion like was supplanted as a tool for manipulation but it's just kind of like yeah that was a thing that we had set up as the benny Gesserit, and it worked and well done team and then you know paul atreides is like oh i have to be this because i have to lead the people but um in this book in this movie it becomes a lot more problematic and you have zendaya who's like the younger new school who's like guys this is so obviously like a plant <laughs> a tool to control us. We're not going to be free if we believe that this person is a prophet. And then you have Stilgar, who, very charismatic, takes on this, like, comedy relief kind of role, which he was very funny. Javier Bardem gives a fantastic performance and brings life to this character that just did not exist in the books. And uh, But also, he plays this very radical fundamentalist role, too, where he just firmly believes in the religion. So yeah. you have these, like, two like old school, new school terms of thought, which very popular in today's political world of fundamentalism versus like younger generations and clashing together. And here's Paul at the center of it with nothing but good intentions. But the fact that he's even there, he can't get out of his own way. And then there's the theme of, okay, like uh, can, can an outsider come into a society and can they actually become a member of that society that's mm -hmm. something like with immigration that we deal with all the time it's like hey can someone who's from another culture and region come in and adopt themselves or are they never going to be a part of us you know how do you blur that line too and they come together super well in this brilliant yeah so you mentioned stilgar mm -hmm. and uh, uh chani's character that go from just these two both of them in the book are just subsidiary to paul mm -hmm. like paul is the leader and they just serve him and shawnee is kind of more just like his lover who supports him in that way and she, she does fight a little bit off screen in the book and then mm -hmm. stilgar is more of his right hand man and the more militaristic aspects of things and right. instead they get placed as kind of the angel and the devil on his shoulder yeah. and yeah. even though Stilgar is a likable guy and well-meaning I think in every mm -hmm. respect he is the devil I think in this case mm -hmm. on the shoulder like whispering uh, not as like maniacally as it sounds but <laughs> he is promoting the idea of like Paul as this uh, yeah. like prophet figure and 
Yeah, and then you've got uh, Zendaya's character on the other side being like, dude, no, like, just, like, you can uh, be a part of us trying to take back what's ours and fend mm-hmm. off these people, but that's it. And it's, and it, I will say, Dune, the book, has hints of this, like, Paul, you're going down a questionable route, and your dad used to care about all these things and the people, and you're showing Mm -hmm. a little bit more of this, like, Machiavellianism, Mm -hmm. but it's so, like, understated to the point of almost not driving that point home, at least in the first book. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Maybe it gets more into that in the later books, but Mm -hmm. the movie as the Dune Part 1, Dune Part 2, and I I would be absolutely shocked if there's not a Part oh, 3 or whatever. definitely is, and I wasn't expecting that either, um, which we'll get into that when we talk about the ending. Yeah, but it is uh, an incredible shift, and I, I absolutely adore that aspect of it. It made it so much more complex. Yes, nuanced, and the change in themes modern. really put gas on the story, you know, because... There's this, you know, chosen one, good defeats evil, yeah. But then it's like, oh, wow, like, is he really going to claim to be a messiah as a way to gain power and, like, end up break essentially breaking up with Zendaya? Like, if, wow, like, that is, that's a, a hard, choice to break that up is with a Zendaya. brutal choice to have to make for power, you know, <laughs> and that, and it, like, the ending, it sums up really well with Christopher Walken, who was a very interesting casting choice. I could not just separate Christopher that was, Walken. Especially <laughs> after the Super Bowl commercials, and I just kept thinking, like, it's the real deal. <laughs> I'm the <laughs> emperor. I know. That's a, it's that me, the emperor. That was an interesting emperor. choice, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it, it, where he goes, um, you can't lead with your heart. You know, when he's talking about Paul's dad, Duke Leto, it's just like, he was a weak man. You can't lead with the heart. It's impossible. And that's kind of the overarching, what I'm seeing across all of these movies is, is he going to, is Timothy Chalamet, Paul Atreides, going to be able to, like, have a loving, meaningful relationship and also be the leader of an empire at the same time? Like, can you have both? And right now, the way this movie ends, it's like, just very questionable. It does not work out. You know, it gets really messy. Because you think, you know, we, we knew how the books ended. We had this whole talk. And I think we may as well just get into it about, yeah. it's like, dude, there's no way this movie ends where Paul Atreides is, okay, Florence Pugh, you're going to be my wife. And then Zendaya, you're also going to be my wife. But don't worry, Zendaya. No, like, Zendaya's going to be not just Florence not Pugh. Like, I love gonna you. going to be concubine in, yeah. the, in the book. It would wife be in name only. The, like, well, no, not even in name. She's not like it's no, like oh, the princess was wife in name us. only. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, yes. So it's like the princess is going to be like, well, I hope she likes her books because <laughs> and her writing. She's never getting she's, any. <laughs> yeah, she's which then there's this kind of sense that we had afterwards where it's like. Okay, well, Paul might be saying that now, but yeah. what about producing heirs? What about, you know, all this? And what about just the fact that who knows what happens when you're with the princess who's described as very attractive in the books and all this kind of stuff? Uh, so then you have 
Chani in the book just be like, all right, I'm happy to be the side piece here. Like, just don't make me a wife, too. Like, this is all <laughs> cool. And yeah. it literally Crazy. ends with with Paul's mom being like, well, like, history will remember us as the wives. That's the last word is wives. Like, <laughs> it is so, like, weird and, mm-hmm. like, doesn't translate to a modern audience where it's like, why would Chani or Zendaya – agree with this and yeah we're like what okay so what route are they going to go here and mm-hmm. it is interesting you you touched on it which is it basically comes down to hey paul are you choosing power by nature mm-hmm. of getting together with this uh like emperor's daughter who also they did a great job of delivering more agency to her yes i don't know how they managed to weave in a plot for her like character work into her but they did it somehow well done yeah we'll get to that in a little bit but Mm -hmm. uh, they end up being like do you choose power by being with this woman you don't know but it gives you a better claim to the throne or do you choose love when it comes Mm. to chani and you don't get to have both like you did in the books yes and (laughs) it's like in here it's so much more interesting and he chooses power like he does this like just i want you to know that i'll always love you zendaya Uh, how many times have we heard (laughs) that am i right ladies (laughs) (laughs) and then he turns around and he's like okay i want to marry your daughter and instead of just okay i'm great with this says chani it's like what the like i'll keep storms off yeah she doesn't she's like what the heck uh, a little what stronger than that on. yeah <laughs> what the frick uh <laughs> she is freak? like dude that is horrible both from the perspective of you seizing power and completely embracing all this despot nonsense and profit stuff but it's also horrible from the fact that like dude like i thought we we had a good thing going here like yeah, and their whole relationship horrible. was yeah, built off of him rejecting the messiah title and rejecting yeah. power and just legitimately trying to learn to be fremen and all of those things which Timothy Chalamet's character Paul Trades had this dark streak the whole time like he's when yeah. he talks to his mom Jessica on the side it's like oh they need to believe in me I need to be one of them that's, I'm like whoa that. that's like a conniving thing to say like like in private you know it's like your most evil private thoughts and then now he's like oh I always love you but um you need I need to marry uh, the princess now and I will not accept anything other than um, your agreement you know it's pretty wild and it makes this difficult choice because he really it's so much more interesting when he can't have both and you yeah. don't know as an audience member like which choice is right they both seem both good and horrible at the same time because there's a power vacuum you don't know who's going to fill it you kind of want Paul to do that but also it's like you you really root for the Zendaya character and morally you know she's correct where it's like dude this like political marriage just so you can get revenge and become the emperor like why you had a good life before so all of those different things coming together are like super super interesting and then it ends with like oh the houses aren't agreeing with you he's like well then we go fight the houses now and then all the fundamentalist feminine are like let's go and then zendaya just walks off like this is crazy and it, it it opens up the whole sequel potential we talked about where it's like this is not like a definitive ending this is like now he's really adopting this 
leader role and he's marching he's just pushing the fremen past their own planet to fight off planet to defeat these houses like this isn't their fight but they believe in him and they're fighting with him so it's interesting to see how far paul will use these people Mm -hmm. as this messiah character you know like it's it's interesting to see yeah a couple great points there charles that i'll get into as well a, not just does it end with Zendaya walking off, it ends mm. with the the final shot is Zendaya getting ready to go ride a sandworm off. And she's got this like fierce yeah. look on her face. And mm. that is a very like interesting choice from the modern audience perspective where it's like mm. to have the final shot be Chani and not something to do with Paul is mm-hmm. very telling about yeah. wh- how they see her role in this story and oh, yeah. how yeah and how important a se- and central a character she is which is a huge as you mentioned redemption uh for yeah. those of us who were concerned <laughs> about the fact that all this character did in the first movie is stare with those blue eyes right <laughs> into the camera mm-hmm. and it's it's really exciting that she's still staring into the camera yes but with a fierce look on her face and it's the final shot as she likely she might even be the protagonist of this story moving forward as paul really is kind of going to the dark side from what i can gather great point like there is definitely a dark streak but you know that timothy chalamet he drank the water of life right so there's always this glimmer of hope that the end of this movie grabs onto where it's like he says he sees all the paths and there's one in which he can get salvation so it's like is this him talking himself into just grasping power or does he have an even longer term plan that will get him everything he wants you know you don't really know because he's committed to this role of I need to be this guy right now to get to the next step. Is that just a permanent thing or is this a plan within a plan, as the movie likes to say? Um, And he says, I always love you. You know, he leaves the door open and then he says, like, I've seen all the paths. I see the future. So how much of that is him just going down his villain arc or how much of that is him just asking to wait and see? You don't know. And that's a great way to end this this movie. But I'll say, Charles, and this is something, the other thing I want to talk about they brought up that I think was a great point was the uh, aside with his mom, where he's like, okay, so half of these people see me as a messiah figure, and half of these people are seeing me as a false prophet. And you think, having read the book and just kind of how his character seemed for the most part up to that point, you think he's like, You'd think he'd just be like, this whole thing is wacky. I'm mad about your Benny Gesserit thing. Uh, I wish none of them thought any of that about me. Like, I wish I could be just a normal Fremen whatever. Or at that time, maybe just like, I wish I could fit in a way that we can stay safe or whatever. But instead, he's just like, okay, well, I have to make the ones that think I'm a false prophet believe I'm a messiah as well. So it kind of changes. When you look back on that, it's like, Okay, well, was everything that this guy did from that point on actually low-key, like, trying to become this Messiah figure? I don't necessarily think that, but that is a potential interpretation I that mean, it was all disingenuous from there on he out. definitely, by that conversation to me, was like, okay, so he does acknowledge that 
he is manipulating everybody in some way. He wants to get revenge on the Harkonnen, and he's like, we're so close to our plans. I just need the Fremen to do this, this, and this for me. It's like, okay, that is exactly what manipulation is. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're doing the thing, right? Like, how are, different are you from Harkonnen going, we need to squeeze for profit. Like, I need to do this thing Income. for me. Income. Income. Yeah, such a great line. And it's just one of those things where it's like, it, like I love the villain arc thing for Paul, and it, it's not like because it's not necessarily villainous. It's one of those things where it's like it's a tough choice, and then you have the emperor going like this is the price of power to lead with your heart is to be weak, and at the end when Timothy Shalma is given that speech of like. Hey guys, like I'm the one who's kicking all the butt here. I am the one who could see the future. You need to follow me right now. And he just grips and takes power like that. And everyone's kneeling except Zendaya. You're like, whoa, he's really doing this. He's really descending into this. And he's got people all around him. He's got Gurney Halleck. He's got Stilgar. He's got his mom pushing him to do it. And it, once he takes the water and is like, I see the path. He, you don't know what path he's seeing. Like, is he seeing a path where he plays this part and comes back? Or is he just fully down that road? But you definitely have, like, Zendaya, uh, Shani, Paul, and Jessica are almost like these three opposing forces now. It really sets an interesting stage for future movies. And the idea of... I mean ending the movie that way i didn't see it coming i thought it was going to be two and done i wasn't anticipating a third i mean it makes sense and it's also a great way to kind of you know why defer the sense? ending so i have no idea where he's gonna go with that either <laughs> you know why it makes sense charles income <laughs> exactly i'm glad you- <laughs> i was like i'm gonna let him i'm gonna let him go for it i got i didn't make the connection until you asked me but i was like oh oh you i mean pretty much the baron looks like any other hollywood producer executive type you know it's just like yeah. make a seventh star wars movie <laughs> <laughs> Income. I don't care about the quality of the movie or Remake providing the mermaid a for live action. Story. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, like Jeff Bezos thinks that the Harkonnens are the good guys. <laughs> like when he's watching this movie, it's like, oh, wow. Like really interesting choice to kill the protagonist. Uh, to have, <laughs> right? Like Paul goes All in this and guy was doing was making Baron, money, right? you know? It's like, wow, like a bold move to have Paul, the clear antagonist, killed the the Baron, the good guy. <laughs> After all this, that's Jeff Bezos. Can I just say they cleaned that part up so good? Like oh, so the movie well. had so much goofiness with the, the um, Jessica having a actually giving birth to the child, um, Paul's sister, yeah, and this child being like four about. years old and like an adult. And then Shawnee and Paul have a child that immediately gets off-screen killed. And we, like, like we were supposed to care at all. All that is just gone. And it's just like so much so much cleaner in this. There's too much to get to, to have to deal with all these goofy kids running around not doing anything. You know, cut yeah. it out. Brilliant. And then Timothy Salome just runs up to the Duke and to the Baron and, and the stabs Baron. him in the neck. You know, as part of his villain arc, as you said, Dylan, which I, I'm totally vibing with that villain arc for sure for Paul happening in front of our very eyes. Killing the good guy. <laughs> All he was doing Jeff was trying Bezos to bring profit to shareholders. Like, come on. He had a whole <laughs> exactly. utopia in his barren planet. We saw the utopia of oh, everyone yeah. just like, you know, living in luxury and, and all of that, which that 
Those scenes were crazy, dude. That planet was nuts. So good. F- from the, f- like, he, the, okay, th- those scenes did not have to hit as hard and be as stylistic as they had to be, you know? Like, you could have even cut all of that completely. But to show that world and those planets and make them creepy and weird and different, like, the fireworks looking like ink blots was awesome the creepy looking dudes with the long hats just creepily marionetting in the background you're like what is going on in this planet everyone looking the same and like moving weird it it was creepy dude it was nightmare fuel for sure yeah and the decision to give more attention to fade ratha because he Mm. ends up being the like fighting in the most climactic duel in, or battle or whatever in mm-hmm. the book at the end uh, and in the book it's just like okay like the nephew the one that and it's like the one that was known for being the schemer and not necessarily the best fighter that's mm-hmm. what it is in the book it's like that's the person that's gonna fight paul mm-hmm. at the end it's like paul should kick this guy's butt and then it's right. in the movie, they're like, oh, let's actually make this guy the better fighter then. Let's, mm-hmm. I mean, I have to say they did Batista dirty. Like, they did Batista so <laughs> they dirty. Did Batista Do you so think he dirty. read the script before he took the role and it's like, wait, what? Oh. After what now? <laughs> part one, I'm sure he read. Like, who knows what was done with part two? This was years. I mean, when he's reading the script of part one, he's probably, it's probably like 2019. And now we're in 2024. Like, yeah, film one already no came out he was before they even started done. filming move, the second movie. Yeah. So I'll say that he probably had no idea that he's going to go from being like the the one of the brothers that actually was kind of the more main brother in the first movie and mm. was in the book and seemed like in the movie, like the fighter, like he's not as smart as Fade Rotha. He's not as much of a schemer, but boy, can he fight. Mm-hmm. And then in the second movie, he's just like running away and L kissing L feet. L. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kissing feet. And then his death scene, which for no reason had to be, this quick like i'm sure the only person who enjoyed the extremely quick just like stab him death of batista's character by gurney uh was probably christian cameron friend of the show who's always (laughs) like like because he's a super expert in fighting and medieval warfare and all that kind of stuff and he's like actually everything happens way too slow in like all these books and movies like in fact it's usually probably much more like what right. happened to Batista's yeah, character where like, you get the stab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was like, there was no actual like fight, like clashing of swords, clashing of metal between Batista's character and mm-hmm. uh, Gurney's character. He just kind of kills him and he's like, that's right. for the people I care about. <laughs> like, you think of like, like Star okay. Wars episode three, right? Where Obi-Wan and Anakin fight for like 30 minutes and they're throwing yeah. lightsabers around and they're jumping off of lava and stuff where the fight scenes in this movie are like really fast, really hand to hand, no effects, no flashes, no nothing. Just people going yeah. boop, 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 and then it's over. And that happened multiple times. And to add on to the Dave Batista like embarrassment, that's not even the first time he's lost to Josh Brolin. 
uh, you know, because he oh, lost really? because Brolin was Thanos and oh, Batista dude, I, was I Batista forgot. was the guy from <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, he was. So it's like he just I, gets spanked again by the same actor, dude. It's the dude, embarrassment. Brutal. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah, Gurney Batista was done Thanos. Really dirty, <laughs> unnecessarily. Like Unnecessary they did not have to go guy. that hard in. And Fade Rotha plays very little role in the first movie, but I don't even. He's think just kind of like he's in it. I think doesn't he? Isn't he? I think I have he, no idea. I think he goes to. I'm sure, he is. He like goes to the Emperor's. Uh, I forget the name of her. You saw it more recently forces. than me. I'll yeah, defer I, you. I'm pretty sure he goes to the emperor's um like planet where he's training all those secret forces that he sends to arrakis and uh uh fade rotha is like we're gonna need your forces and the guy is like we're we're powerful watch out and that's pretty much like his main mm-hmm. contribution uh mm-hmm. but in in this movie yeah he gets so much more attention he's shown to be a good fighter Although they're randomly just like, look, there's all these Atreides people left. You don't really know which Atreides or what's going on. But here they come. They're going to fight now. And yeah. is going to beat them. And only the two books, of them. that was a whole thing that went on like, for forever. Explaining, like, oh, there was a poison and there wasn't a poison. And yeah. then he switched hands. And, oh, if you only right. knew I'd switched hands and I switched them back. And you're like, what yeah. is all of this? This is crazy. And I didn't even think they were going to include any of it in the in the movie but they did have a fun stylistic arena battle just for fun for funsies yeah with some characters from the first movie but yeah in the in the book that was a whole thing and i was like this is a really slow part of the book like i really don't care about yeah. this at all um there's a lot of scheming. So that was really well done and lots of scheming yeah, but, but speaking of scheming Rafa, and, oh oh go ahead yeah i'm just gonna say he they make him into this like creepy formidable uh, opponent, and he's doing all the he's licking knives and doing all this creepy yeah. stuff, and mm-hmm. it's it's fun that it makes him more of a memorable villain. And, uh, yeah, you mean think of the movie going experience, right? Yeah. There needs to be some entertainment value to this. It can't be like Game of Thrones, just like oh, every character has to be morally gray and super realistic, and and all these things. It's like no, you can have a character that just licks knives and kills henchmen for fun for no warning you know just be evil you know um and what they even state that straight up and that was one of the things i wanted to transition to was to talk about just the benny jesuit as a whole because they take a totally different like treatment in the movies as well where they're just being like these master manipulators which they technically are in the books as well but in the books they seem to have more of this like holy mission to like do the right thing by the world kind of where in this they're just kind of like can we control him that's all i care about i don't care that he kills people and that he has his harem that are cannibals as long as we could control him and here's the level oh embarrassment and and sexuality that's humiliation (laughs) it's like dang that's cold (laughs) it was humiliation and something to do with like lust or something that's how we could control him and you're like, dang, girl, that's cold, you know? And then he should, he should, um, the Reverend Mother's talking to Florence Pugh. Yeah. And Florence Pugh's like, 
wait, did you plan that? And she's like, it happened, didn't it? I'm like, of course, if I planned it. What are you, crazy? You think something's going to happen without me planning it? And you're just like, wow, okay. So it, it comes back to this theme of like, is there an ethical source of attaining power? Is that even possible? But then someone has to be in charge. Otherwise, bad people run away with it. So like, what even happens? And I thought the Benny Gesserit spin on that to being like manipulators is almost like villains themselves was yeah. an interesting switch. Yeah, and it does create this situation where it's like Paul becomes the lesser of two evils. Although you could make the case that dumping Zendaya is is the worst crime that anyone dude, committed in that movie. Come on, because dude, what what are you doing? But it's <laughs> <laughs> but I'll also say yeah. When it she makes was it like, so... "I'll show you," I can show you how. I was like, "Oh yes, <laughs> show me everything." <laughs> <laughs> Where she was like, I can, she's like, I can teach you everything or something when he's talking about how to be a Fremen. And I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The most most honest moment for me on the podcast, finally. The, um, (laughs) what was I? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you've got this, the Bene Gesserit who are kind of just all out schemers looking for power. Uh, you've got them for some reason thinking they can control Fade Rotha, which I was like, that's a that's a hard sell that you're just gonna like keep humiliating <laughs> and like having sex with this guy and for him to always do whatever you want. But whatever, they've got some magic powers, they've got the voice, uh, so right. I'll, I'll trust them. And yeah, then you've got Paul, who's like, dude, you're making some real bad despot decisions, but you're not that bad, so you're still kind of rooting for him. And then. Right. It's like, all right, we're we're interested to see where all this goes. Uh, you mentioned Florence Pugh's character, the the princess, and mm-hmm. she is really. I was surprised they even really had her in this because she in the books she provides the epigraphs basically. Yes, where she. And it's nice chapter, that they had her like keeping journals yeah. in the movie too. She starts the movie off, and it's very similar then to, like, starting Mm. off a chapter in the book where she's uh, basically describing, like, oh, yeah, these things happened on Arrakis and blah, blah, blah. And uh, then you have her actually affiliated with the Bene Gesserit, and it puts her in this position where she's involved with all of this scheming. And actually, by the point that Paul is like, hey, I'm just going to marry you. And uh, in the book, it's like, and you have no agency. So come over here and, and marry me now because that's how you fit all this. Hope you like books and writing because <laughs> that's you're going to be doing a lot of that. Yeah. Instead, they've got her in the situation where by the time that's happening in the movie, she's already decided with the Bene Gesserit, Reverend Mother or what have you. She's like, oh, wow, the only way for our bloodline to stay in power at all is for me to find a way to marry either Paul or this wacky sociopath guy. And then she's already out there like, okay, I'm going to like go for the go for the marriage. Like first time that I see who the winner is and who's going to be on the throne. So it gives her sure is marriage not the best way to like give agency to women in our modern day probably not but given the source material and where they probably are trying to go with the plot given what they're working with i 
I give them props for doing the best they could. It was actually pretty inventive. For sure. And I mean, she was, you know, holding her own conversationally with the Benny Gesserit. And that's how we got to kind of learn more about what they're up to was through Florence Pugh's questions and perspective. So that was a really interesting use of her character. And then, you know, she gets to talk to the emperor and learn what he's all about too, getting his insight and seeing how kind of passive he is at times and how like miscalculated he was and and dealing with certain things and how secretive they all were and stuff like that. So it, it was interesting to see her in the middle of all of that and then basically learning like, yeah, okay, my dad's failed. I'm way too new at this. There's too many bigger people in charge right now. Who knows where things could end up in the future? But she's like, oh, if you spare him, I will marry you willingly. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, interesting <laughs> line there. Um, but it's exactly what Paul Atreides wanted. So we'll have to wait and see. But no, I thought that was all like really well done. I, I was very impressed. And, you know, I, I'm... I didn't expect there to be more sequel potential, but I'm here for it because, like you said, there's definitely going to be like this Empire Strikes Back moment now where it's like the ending was kind of sad and there's going to be a little bit more conflict before we reach a conclusion here. So who knows where it will end up, but I feel like we have a lot better character work, like a lot stronger cast of characters at the end of this than we did at the end of the book. And I'm really interested to see where they all go. Um, This idea of Zendaya being like, yo, you were cool once. And then your quest for power made you like, you know, unapproachable. Like like really gave me the ick. I had to go, as the kids say. Oh, yeah, Charles. (laughs) Get that that ick in. uh, Oh, he called himself the Messiah. That's the ick. (laughs) That gives me the ick. I Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I that I honestly don't really love that expression. That expression gives me the ick. The ick gives me the ick. But mm. I I do appreciate your effort to thank you to reach to Gen, Gen Z, and that's <laughs> what matters here. Now that we're on TikTok, we we'll just cut that. We'll just cut that and throw that on TikTok. You being like, uh, I mean, Paul Atreides at the end of Dune gives me the ick. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we'll finally go viral on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. <laughs> there, there's a there's a good the Gen Z though. TikTok video in there somewhere. We'll have to figure out how <laughs> to squeeze yeah. that for for income somehow. <laughs> income. <laughs> <laughs> Just like this is our like third Dune um, episode in like a month's time. We did say oh. that we were going to. Uh, follow the Harkonnen way. Um, oh, and speaking of, uh, it's how, what do you think of the way that they did the reveal of the like? Oh, you're my granddad bit in this. Like, wh- how was it effective? Like, do we care? I think it was interesting, right? Because you're talking about the villain arc and Paul's rise to power. And being more closely related to the Harkonnens than he thought while he's doing that at the same time was interesting. Um, Was it like this shocking reveal worth our time? Really? No. And so I'm glad that they like kind of sped through it where it's like, oh, I drank the water of life. I saw our past. Like, 
did you know that we were related? In the books, they knew for a long time, like from near, like pretty much halfway through. And that was a big driving force. And obviously that was a huge inspiration for Star Wars as well. So it was like a huge influential moment from the past. But now that we've like come full circle and it's like, you don't want to be like, have an I'm your father moment in Dune because of Star Wars, which was because of Dune, you know? So it's just like, (laughs) eh, we don't want to do that. It'd be like, this is really derivative of Star Wars when it's like, ah, (laughs) Star Wars is derivative of Dune. But yeah, but now the movie's like, yeah. (laughs) Right. It's like, so you've got the, the book that was hugely influential, but not as anywhere near as influential as the star wars movies but now the star like so then you've got like okay a dune movie that you can see the influence of the star wars movies yeah. on the dune movie like of very what clearly. they choose like, to show weird. and choose not to show also right so that whole thing of not making a huge deal about it just show LeBaron like looking disinterested at a child and and call it a day you're like okay interesting <laughs> interesting shots there um so yeah i was fine with it and i think it mostly served to be like the kind of evil undertones of paul's character are only two generations deep you know they're not even that far you know so it's like is he gonna go to his harkonnen side or is he gonna go to his atreides side um that's kind of where this is how his character's being set up is he's right on the edge of a knife as in lord of the rings the quest hangs on the edge of a knife like which way is he gonna go is he gonna go Harkonnen power control or atreides lead with the heart um desert power all that stuff who knows i think i can safely assume which way it's gonna go but they're gonna make you think about it for at least a movie (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna have some epic battles against zendaya first we're gonna see a zendaya timothy chalamet fight scene before we reach that conclusion for sure that's gonna be way cooler than kylo ren against ray so i'll give them that yes it'll be interesting i mean you make a great point charles that the the harkonnen thing very explicit or very clearly shows the the influence on his choices of power all that like he says to his mom hey, we're Harkonnens, we're going to do this the Harkonnen way. Like, there's a Mm -hmm. line that's explicitly uh, that. And he he basically goes Harkonnen. He goes full Harkonnen. You never go full Harkonnen, but he does do that. (laughs) You never go full Harkonnen. Soon, we'll know once he starts strapping himself into suspenders and, like, killing people for fun. (laughs) That's full Harkonnen. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. If If he goes black and white uh if mm. the cinematography chooses to go black and white on we'll, well apparently that planet has a black sun and that's why it looks the way it does i actually ah. researched it so well okay just so you know but yeah totally <laughs> you put me in my place there charles <laughs> so it could charles, be a genetic we... thing too i'm sure because they said something like even the the fremen were like oh that blood's no good like we're not recycling that water yeah. you know that was an interesting distinction there i don't I'm sure there's tons of lore as to why that is, but um, right, the Fremen um, who like won't even shed a tear are won't even recycle the water of Fremen uh, of um, the Harkonnens. Yeah, the, Fremen, the the Harkonnen corpses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, Charles. No, it, yeah. So we also had the choice of the, the we have 
the mom going full Gollum over the, right? To where they're not Gollum vibes. Were you getting the same thing, like, independently of me saying that right now, like, when you're watching the movie? I wasn't getting those vibes, um, but I was like, oh. I, I when you said it, it makes total sense because she's like talking to herself, kind of with yeah. the rubbing the rubbing the belly and all that. It wasn't. I like the choice, you know. Like we didn't need a prophetic four year old walking and talking and stabbing barons, you know. Like we just didn't yeah. need that in this movie. This movie had enough going on. <laughs> it was so weird. We were talking about that in the book. He's like. I was like, what are you even going to do there? And you were like, exclude it entirely. And yeah. I was like, yeah, that's a good, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one thing I learned from the adaptation of Lord of the Rings, where it's like, what are we going to do with Tom Bomba? This is the weirdest <laughs> thing ever in this book. It makes no sense. Like, you could just totally not even mention it once. Yeah. You know, it, it's true. And it's so much stronger for that. Like, we don't need it and then you have the nice parallel with um that reminds me because we know paul killed the baron and then you have um what's his face being like i've killed family members before like it's not a big deal and so it's yeah. like how different are you from like he killed his mom that's pretty hardcore you killed your grandpa that's hardcore but not like you know you're like right on the edge there so it just works better for the characters that we have like we don't need a new character who's super weird like we just don't need it at the 11th hour we've got a lot to work with you know it the layers are nice the thematic elements of it are nice as it is she's coming though charles lady she's jessica's coming. gonna have by that what's baby her face? anna taylor joy like she's in everything what? now i was like she was in like a million previews, trailers, oh, things. Yeah, she's Princess Peach, and she's, um, you know, gonna be in Mad Max, and now she's the uncredited sister of Paul Atreides. It's like, man, she's doing everything. Yeah, but I don't know if she's gonna get there in the movies to the point where she's that old. But who knows? We'll say knows? she. I I expect the weird toddler running around and. Uh, they could do a flash forward it's like flash forward 27 years and paul and zendaya are now rivals (laughs) charles on the topic of of baron stabbing by the way Mm -hmm. another important change is instead of the unceremonious like just oh by the way the baron got killed i believe by fade rotha in the in the book right the baron got killed by the four-year-old Sister. Oh yes, he got she killed by the four-year-old sister. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's weird. Um, but you were like, that's kind of anticlimactic and weird. But okay, right. he's just kind of <laughs> yeah. And then it's unceremonious, is mm-hmm. what I was remembering. And instead, it is very ceremonious and given a lot of attention in the movie. And there's just a lot of those kind of choices. It's the same thing with like there are all these things in the latter end of the book that were very like they were there in the text but they were just not zoomed in on enough to be interesting like the idea of all these people riding sandworms into like heading toward the battle and blah blah it's like okay now we have some actual fun stuff going on and very clearly showed in the movie so it was it, it was good fun um 
Also, one thing I want to mention, Rebecca Ferguson going to be playing Monza Mercato in the oh, upcoming Monza Best Serve. <laughs> yeah, in the Best Serve Cold movie based on the Joe Abercrombie wow. books. I was thinking about that. Isn't that wacky? That So she is going to bring some real star power, especially after being in these Dune movies. So I'm looking forward to that. And that was one of the characters, Jessica, that we really liked in the books that I thought transferred well into the movie. Like, um, they didn't make her as helpless in the beginning and like they... But they also kept up her like potential villain arc aspects too. And they showed like the progression of the tattoos and the more frequent talking to herself, to the baby and like all this other stuff. The You realize she was withholding secrets from Paul um, about their Harkonnen lineage, you know, and like all this. And like she's campaigning in the South to try and build up his myth, even though he didn't ask her to and all this other stuff is... Um, is still happening which i thought you know made her one of the stronger characters in the book was that she had more of an agency and a role to play and dialogue and things to say where that the other yeah. characters just didn't she was good i mean rebecca she ferguson did an awesome job uh would andy circus have been an even stronger casting choice of oh, course yeah. but that you could say about any role ever and uh, <laughs> no could you because <laughs> like I nutty professor like the... style where he just plays every character in dune <laughs> it, it's just well i think part of the golemness of it like there's the voice and also the like the we of it all you know mm. like speaking to uh, a i mean in this case and speaking like over child. something and being yeah, like, and like a yeah, hunched yeah. sort of sense to it yeah and always like we need paul like we need yeah. Paul. We need Paul to be the Messiah, and it's like, and everyone else is like no one can hear we, who you're talking yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's uh, yeah, kind of. Although it is an unborn child, which feels more living than a, a ring, uh, there is this kind of like talking to a not really their animated figure uh, that you're just like, we need this, we. Right, so that's right. kind of weird, but. Yeah, Andy Serkis in a like green suit or whatever, or and then just a full CGI uh, mm. Lady Jessica. Totally worth sure. it. Sure. I mean, yeah, we'll get there. Totally One worth day. it. One day Hollywood technology will get yeah. there, and we can have Andy Serkis play every character in every movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Until well, now, there's the Hobbit audiobook that he does. Yeah, <laughs> he plays every For now, character. We have the Hobbit <laughs> yeah. audiobook. Is true. Uh, but from there who knows um yeah i mean not much i left i have to say i mean we touched on the the treatment of the fremen which i really liked and i thought the relationship between paul and Chani was really much better developed in this book oh yeah there's Um, nothing in this movie there's nothing there in the book like there's just nothing he just sees her and he's like oh i had the prophecy that we'd be together and then they're together or it's like, no, Zendaya is a proud warrior skin. who appreciates when Paul didn't. And she's also very um, non-fundamentalist. So when she sees Paul's all of those things, too, um, that's what helps the relationship bond. And then they had that moment where she's like, 
you you're horrible at sand walking and he's like well i had read in my yeah. in my records he's like oh you know what for never mind you know just like the, <laughs> yeah, the willingness to do him. that without being like super like so many hollywood movies would be so overly preachy about it where it's like oh here's a man thinking he knows more than a woman or here's like a he's like a white person thinking they know more than a you know indigenous people's in culture that he's in and, and it just like it it handles all of it and it just lets the character work yeah drive it and it's just so appreciated and in a in already a movie that's two hours and 40 minutes long you got a lot to do taking time for the character work and doing that without diverting from it with the over the head preachiness of anything was so appreciated because it's all there like it is he is like in there thinking he's gonna just take over and then and, and do all the stuff and like he had a lot to learn and overcome and he had to build that relationship with half of these people. And it, it with them, like most of the movie takes place on Arrakis and it, it, it works really well. You know, the, the sand riding, like the first time he rides the sandworm is such a transformative scene. And it was my favorite scene from a cinematic, just movie theaters, a guy sitting in a movie theater experience because it was so loud. Uh, I loved it. But no, it was it was really great to watch them just build their relationship. And then it doesn't dwell on this crazy long, embarrassing like romance scene. It's like cut to they just finished making love and they're talking about something that they thought about. You know, they don't need to have this like embarrassingly long romantic scene put to music. Like none of that stuff. Like it's in like, the hey, room. Yeah, like in the room. Yeah. <laughs> or like even like you know, Star Wars would do this, like in episode two, where they're like having these crazy scenes of romance. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's let's cut this. And like not dwelling on having like an actual romantic scene either, just like implying that that has happened, which I thought was good that they showed that. And then like moving on to the important thing of like, hey, we're like cool, right? You're not you don't think you're a messiah, right? And he's like, no, no, yeah. I would never, never do that. <laughs> I love and ladies, you always. ladies, don't trust your man when he says that he doesn't think he's the messiah, all right? Yeah. It's like the fact that that even comes you. up is a red flag, okay? <laughs> right. Like, that just should not even come up in conversation. And when he says he still loves you while he's courting a romance to the empress, you know, it's like you... That's not a man, you know? That's not a man. <laughs> yeah. I'll say, yeah. As the psych part of me says, if, you're, uh, if you, your man's saying he's the Messiah, please get a psychiatric help. But <laughs> it's... <laughs> which is probably what Paul needs as well. So mm. that was... Not a lot of therapists was, on Arrakis. Or clinical psychologists, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and what's the licensure look like? How's it transfer? They accept APA, American mm-hmm. Psychological Association. What's their standard uh, accreditation? Of accreditation. Their, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. Are the, they cut are all the, the Mentat stuff, by the way, while I'm thinking of it, and the good riddance to that, too. All those Mentat characters and side oh, plots, yeah. um, like, gone completely. Because there's the whole side plot of the Atreides Mentat being co-opted by... The Baron yeah. and like given poison every day or no no given an antidote I, one of the I don't remember dude but his poison was involved as it a was, way of coercion yeah and somehow he was able to still 
work politically behind the scenes to help Paul seize power from the emperor. Like that was a whole thing that happened. That was just like gone. I do remember like that, that character was in the first book. I mean, first movie, but not even a second of them was shown in the second movie. I'm sure they like filmed stuff and were like, dude, this movie's too long. Cut them, you know, which kind of sucks uh, if you're that guy. But yeah, so uh, Charles, the I'll also say on the relationship building stuff you're talking about between Chani and Paul, they have that awesome scene that looked it was almost something out of like halo 2 that i used to play like halo 3 yeah, yeah like yeah. the rocket launcher and you're trying to take down the helicopter oh that scene was you awesome. know what i'm saying yeah. how cool was that and that like established here's the thing that's so cool about this they so save like each other's a lives. brandon sanderson i think as sanderson says in some of his uh, writing workshop stuff and you can find all those lectures on youtube and all that stuff he'll talk about how Every scene should be doing more than one thing. And oh, mm. the this is like a master class in that is that awesome rocket launcher scene where it's, it's like basically okay, they're courting. This, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like they're saving each other's lives, they're learning to trust each other. All that stuff is in the background of this incredible fight scene where she's trying to shoot down this like dune helicopter equivalent it's called an ornithopter dude okay someone i know someone did all his research and he's very proud of that but uh, she's trying to shoot it down with this rocket launcher like thing and he's stabbing people and he's yeah he's rushing off into hand-to-hand combat which she's like okay that that's pretty cool and then she rocket launchers a guy at point blank range and he's like okay like i might be in love you know it's a courtship that's happening right right in front of our eyes you know but it's also an amazing entertaining action scene which Mm -hmm. is way cooler than like some of the other choices like if you make a scene that's literally just okay now the one thing that's happening is paul and chani are falling in love and it's like that's gonna be way more boring than like oh like you can tell they're kind of falling for each other but there's a rocket launcher. <laughs> like, yeah, but they're like in the explosions. middle of an active war zone. Yeah. yeah, fighting for their lives. No, totally, totally. And all, yeah, it was super well done. And then you see her like talking to her friends off to the side and like the conversations that they have around Paul. It's like, oh, you like him? And it's like, well, you know, he's, you know, he's genuine and he's not, he doesn't believe in any yeah. of this nonsense. I, I, I don't know. The whole courting thing was was really strong, and the character work for me was really strong. It just it moved. The pacing never kind of stuck yeah. anywhere. It was all like you said. There was subtext in every scene was packed with stuff going on, and it's that attention to the nuance and the detail of this of the script and the character work and the themes that I always look for and, and love most in in movies. You see so many. There's great movies that are just dumb, that are fun to turn your brain off and watch, but there's movies that present themselves as epic sci-fi, and it's just stupid effects that were just loud and noisy for two hours. And then there's this, which is like, okay, really trying hard to tell a story about a dude who has to choose between the love of his life and the fate of a universe, you know, and that kind of impossible choice. And it spends a lot of the movie uh, contained. Yeah, but choose, choose Zendaya. Choose well, the love so. of your life, obviously, <laughs> right? I have a feeling he's going to be able to get both soon. But it, it, like you by spending so? that time both getting on the, going down the war path and also building up that relationship at the same time, it, it, built, it makes that choice so hard at the end where you're like, 
bro, tough call there, and arguably problematic call as well. <laughs> I don't think he, I hope he doesn't get both. No, I, they left the door open, right, where he's like, I saw all the futures, and there's one where it works out. And he's like, very, no, I always uh, love you. You know, Strange. those to me are very telling things of like, I have to do this very difficult thing. I'm asking you to believe in me right now, you know, which is also what a player would say. Let's be real. That's right. Exactly. Right there. But I do believe him. I believe him, though. This time he's always so nice afterwards when he comes back. You know, you got to believe. <laughs> Charles, <laughs> let's not bring your personal life into this. I think that <laughs> it's, yeah, it's best to... Yes, he left off and got married, but he said he always loves me no matter what. (laughs) So of course I I welcome him back. So I do believe, Paul, that he will always love uh, Johnny and blah, blah, blah. But what I also believe is that doesn't matter when you're going to choose power over that. Yeah, she does not have care. to take that, you know. Yeah. She's a strong, independent person who does not have to, like, be part of this craziness, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. I hope I, I hope things continue to remain as nuanced and complex as this movie did. Will Dune Part 2 end up being, uh, like, that second movie that ends up being the best uh in the trilogy a la the original star wars movies mm. uh, i it very well might like i kind of have that feeling or like an avengers kind of thing also for more modern audiences <laughs> modern <laughs> audiences know of star wars i think charles let's not just because you now know the phrase ick doesn't mean that <laughs> people like yeah, you have you to know, appeal the second to movie like, slump i feel like like um avengers infinity war well, i guess no was, that was only that two parts the original yeah that no i'm only... saying the original star wars the yeah, second right, right. You, movie is the best your analogy is better you're right thank you um yes. and i mean that's widely you're the guy who used to do you know i guess it's just on hiatus roger roger the star wars Dude, I love Empire Strikes Back. It's probably my favorite Star Wars movie, too. You're the expert. When is (laughs) Roger Roger coming back, by the way? Um, Star Wars Probably never. I don't know. Oh, wow. You heard it here first. But it's... Leave hope for Roger Roger, everyone. I said probably. Probably (laughs) probably (laughs) never. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So Empire Strikes Back best star wars movie in charles's opinion it's and up there yeah i'm I also a bit of a prequel fan so what i You're like the, the prequels, prequels compared to to empire strikes back like that's a that's a conversation worth having well Not we'll right save now. that conversation for right roger now. roger uh, upon the return but i if you were power ranking what are you putting first that's a good question. I mean, Empire's obviously in the top. I don't think there's another movie that tops it. Besides, um, I like A New Hope also. That's just a classic. And then Episode yeah, sure. 3 is amazing too. So those are probably the top three. Choose your order. Okay. <laughs> well, either way, I don't know if a Dune... I'm, I'm going to actually give a quick Google if there's anything. A, is a Dune Part 3 already 
announced. I had no idea. I was so. Like I that. thought we were going to get like a definitive ending. I was kind of surprised that yeah. we really didn't get an answer to how he was going to resolve the love triangle. We got a deferment <laughs> to a third. Yeah. But what a deferment it was. Deferral, I think. I mean, he but did essentially what? choose Florence Pugh and was trying to hope to keep um, Zendaya in the mix. Um, but. Uh, Ooh, Dennis Villeneuve. How do you say it, Charles? Villeneuve. I have no idea. Villeneuve is French. He's French. Okay. Well, Dennis says part three based on Dune Messiah. Oh. There are words on paper, according nice. to Empire. Is that a reliable news source? I oh, Empire, a hundred percent. It's one of those industry magazines. Okay. Cool. I think. All right. Well, I have no reason to believe that won't happen. I imagine this movie will be a massive box office success. I don't know if any numbers on that are out yet or whatever, but uh, it is exciting. The thing I was trying to say is I feel there's just something in my bones that says, like, when it's all said and done, this will be the best movie of the whatever trilogy, what whatever it ends up being. But prove me wrong, Dennis. You already have shown a lot of skills taking source material and adapting it. I mean, I was thinking, too, Arrival. Like, I read that short story Mm. earlier this year. And it's like, that's pretty impressive to be able to be like, okay, I'm going to take this short story. I'm going to blow it up to a full movie with Arrival and do an incredible job. He's like, okay, now I'm going to take this kind of bloated old book in Dune and turn it into a massive blockbuster, like two part movie. Right. That and especially something that stuff. like has been tried to have been made unadapted yeah. to screen multiple times and just failed every single time. It's like, no, this time Dune is going to have its moment. It's like, wow, yeah. I keep actually pulled it off. And I think it's his attention to like which characters to focus on, which themes to change and just like how to, like have that modern movie experience all coming together in a way that no other person who's attempted to make Dune was ever able to achieve. And so it's like just a really cool, really cool movie. I mean, so obvious they're going to make a third one. I'm just surprised that they're like being so coy about it. Like are the actors not signed on to do a third movie, dude? Like this is, this is not going to be the end. So I don't know. They just really like, Starting from scratch every single time, finishing a movie and then starting the next one. It's kind of crazy. They don't usually do that anymore. I don't really understand it, but Lord of the Rings, they shot the whole trilogy at once. <laughs> so, um, mm, I didn't know that. Oh, but I yeah. guess it makes sense when you consider the timeline they were coming out with and how much of a. I could have a whole nother was. hour and 20 minute conversation around how Peter Jackson somehow pulled off. Um, being able to make the Lord of the Rings films the way he did, but uh, <laughs> that's another conversation for another day. But yes, be. he did. He did. I'm get just this... thinking now, Charles. Like the like, we could do an episode on like adapting like speculative fiction, sci-fi, and fantasy books to movies. What we think has gone well, what we think has not gone as well. Like, there's a lot of examples of of good adaptations, bad adaptations. Tons. It's kind of an interesting topic, especially yeah, with Game of Thrones, Witcher, on. 
Dune, uh, Wheel of Time, the the the, the Lord of the Rings. The, the, just take your take your pick, man. There's a million. Yeah, but then less successful uh, adaptations like The Hobbit. Um, the Hobbit, which, uh, like what? I don't know. It's interesting, also but it is a conversation for another time. I think we've had a great conversation about a movie or two movies, Charles. I'll say. We always talk about how we pitch ourselves as uh, like uh, two friends bantering about the best in uh, books, movies, TV shows, and more. It's like, okay, but 99% of the time we're talking about books. But Charles, we we got movies in there this time. And that we always feels good movies. that we're delivering. Yeah, When will we, we get do. to the more? I don't know. Do we ever talk about more? Have we ever hit anything that isn't in the category of books, movies? We did graphic shows? novels. Do those count as more? That's a uh, still kind of in the book. That under falls the under program. more category to me. You know, like if I went to a book podcast that advertised themselves as we only talk about books, and then I see like graphic novels, I'd be like, "What? It's a little bit odd. Not really a it's book." Literally got okay. novel in the in the phrase. Quick yeah, gatekeeping. <laughs> Take that, Charles. I'm I'm just now saying. You're, yeah. <laughs> He's I'm got the hands up. Saying. I'm just <laughs> saying. It's to me classifies as more. We've done other stuff too. Okay. Like, I don't know. Like what is it? Like we've done we do like over two hundred like video games. Have we ever done video games? Not really. No. No. That would be but more. we could if we played video games. <laughs> We do play video games, Charles. We play Fall Guys. We do. I mean, I haven't played in a long time. I used to play video games yeah. all the time. Yeah, it's it's tough, you know. It's tough out there. Anyway, this was great. Loved Dune. Loved the adaptation. Movie was fantastic. I can't wait to come back in two more years when they have the third one. We'll get to read Dune Messiah. Let's be honest, three more years. <laughs> Three more years. Oh, yeah, it was three more years. Yeah. yeah. So looking forward to that day. And uh, until then, guys, I think all that's left to do is play that sweet, sweet outro music. What do you say, Dylan? Let's get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping. Charles. Okay, everyone. Thank you all one and all for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, do us a favor and go ahead and let us know over on the socials, like and comments on everything going on over there. That's at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and and TikTok and the like, and then at the FTF Podcast with number one at the end for Twitter. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show even more than engaging with us over on social media, what can they do? Toss five stars to our podcast, which you can do over on Spotify, where most of you are listening. Just click about, click where the stars are at, throw us five of those. It helps us so much when you do that. You can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That means you can say nice things about us. You can say, hey, Charles came really prepared. He knew what the Dune helicopters were called. And I appreciate that attention to detail. And that's why Charles is my favorite co-host five stars <laughs> now i but, hope it's an ornithopter yeah it is <laughs> just listening is more than enough thank you so much for doing that 
thank you all so much for listening you guys are great we really appreciate you just listening as he said more than enough thank you thank you thank you as always guys go forth and conquer friends